Welcome to the Extraordinary Games Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dave Winchester. And unfortunately, I actually don't have a co-host this week due to scheduling things. Uh, But I will be talking with you folks about Ghostwire Tokyo. But first, I want to remind you that if you like the show, make sure you follow us on the podcast app of your choice and leave a review. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe there. Hit the notification bell so you can get notifications when a video is posted about the podcast, which is usually a day after I put the podcast up on all the other apps. Uh, On YouTube, you can actually comment on videos. Uh, I read them all. And let me know what you think of the podcast, what recommendations you might have for what you want to hear about. And lastly, we do have a Patreon. The link is in the description of the show. And there you can donate to the channel and directly support what we're doing here. And some of the bonus perks on there are access to a, uh, a Discord server where I am frequenting and you know paying attention to anything you guys post there. And even if you don't do any of that stuff, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us in this way. And let's get into the show. So before we get into Ghostwire Tokyo, the thing I want to get into is where have I been for the past month? Well, unfortunately, I actually got sick with a a pretty nasty virus that's going around where I'm working and actually my wife actually had it for the past week, but uh, it actually caused me to lose my voice for about two weeks and I still don't sound 100% like I normally do. But that's why I took some time off. I physically could not do the podcast, which is really unfortunate. And now we're in the heart of the holiday season and I have tons of stuff going on between work and getting, you know, family events together, shopping for people. It's insane. So I'm just going to be posting for now whenever I can, whether it be a solo podcast where I'm just talking directly to you folks or if I actually can get a guest on, we're going to be doing that. But I do have a lot of things in the pipeline that are really cool episodes that I think everyone will really really enjoy. I'm personally looking forward to a pretty epic uh, run of shows coming up where I'm going to have a lot of different people on talking about a particular game. And I don't want to spoil it yet, but trust me, I feel like a lot of people are going to be interested in, in the game we're going to be talking about. So after Ghostwire Tokyo, I'm actually getting into a few other games, trying to get, get through my backlog. Right now, I'm planning on playing Stranger of Paradise, which is the Final Fantasy Origins game that came out, I want to say this year, might have been last year, I don't remember, but I just picked that up and I've been dying to play it because it's kind of like a Final Fantasy Souls-like with co-op multiplayer, even though I don't know if I'm going to get into that. I'm also playing a few other games on my Switch, like Kentucky Route Zero. I just uh, picked up Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, which I'm actually surprised at how good that game is. I, I remember it coming out and having like a, almost no fanfare whatsoever. But between it just like having decent DLC now and me just being in the mood for some superhero stuff that doesn't suck and not shows and stuff that are on like Disney Plus and things like that kind of enjoying that so far but i'm going to be kind of bouncing around but the the game i'm mostly focused on right now is stranger of paradise and i'm also playing a little bit in my spare time some playstation one games so i've been playing parasite eve and legend of dragoon and actually final fantasy 7 the original uh, i can probably beat that game in like a day if i had you know the time but it's nice to just pop back in there and, and be able to play that game because that's one of my favorite games from my, my 
teens slash you know childhood uh but i i'm really having fun just going back and and killing off some of my backlog because it's been a while since i've actually had time to do that and actually sit down and be able to enjoy things i think i've gotten to a point where my schedule now allots for some time where i can get a couple hours of games in a week if not a little bit more which doesn't sound like a lot because i know a lot of people have more time but i have a a one-year-old at home and that between that and a full-time job and trying to to get stuff out for this podcast and get things situated it's a lot going on now i know a lot of people are thinking like damn then why even do this well honestly this is a passion project for me i will make time in the day to do this podcast and talk about games because it's what i really love to do uh, once I get into it and I get guests that I like on, like I'm sure you've heard the the first few episodes, it gets really like passionate and it's something that I really want to do going forward and hopefully build a community around it and uh, be able to do this at least part-time, hopefully eventually to support some aspect of my life so I don't have to work a 40-hour-a-week a job which I currently work a 40-hour-a-week job with um, an hour commute each way. So if you're doing the math for that, if I'm working five days a week, that's I'm pretty much working 50 hours if you factor in the commute on top of having to you know watch my kids. So it's a lot. Hopefully, eventually one day I want this to alleviate some of some of that. So that way I'm not like only getting like four or five hours of sleep a night. That would be great. Um, so as of right now. What's going to happen is I'm going to be posting these episodes whenever I can. Like I said, uh, whenever I have time, I'll hop on, talk about a game I'm passionate about. If I can get somebody else on that also has played the game or wants to talk about, I'm going to do that. If not, I will do it solo. But I do have a couple podcasts in the pipeline that definitely require guests and that are definitely going to be something you guys want to hear. So just keep a lookout for that. Now, let's talk about some Ghostwire Tokyo. This is the game I played mostly while I was uh, out with whatever cold this was where I had no voice. So I was playing like a lot of classic games like Resident Evil 2, but then um, I, I looked at my, my log of PlayStation 5 games that I haven't played, which is kind of getting extensive now, and I saw Ghostwire Tokyo, and I really enjoyed the, the first games that this developer put out. So for those of you that don't know, this game was actually developed by Tango Gameworks, who were, it was pretty much founded by the person who was kind of in charge for Resident Evil for a little while, um, Shinji Mikami. He's the dude that actually did Resident Evil 4 and took it in that direction. Uh, but they also put out The Evil Within and The Evil Within 2. For those of you who have not played The Evil Within games and you are horror fans, get on that. Those games are absolutely spectacular. The first game's all right. It has a few storytelling issues, and the graphics aren't the best. But the second game, in my opinion, is a masterpiece. And that game is so very underrated. I don't know if I'd actually call it underrated, but it definitely sold less than what it was expected to, which is really unfortunate. Because for an open-world-ish survival horror game with the mechanics that it has and the setting that it has like that game should have done so much better than what it did uh, and it it's cool that you didn't get a franchise that just kept going it literally just has the evil within one the evil within two and that's it and it's a very 
especially if you get the DLC, it's a very cohesive story after the first game. The first game was told kind of poorly. The DLC remedied a lot of the issues that it had, and then the Evil Within 2 kind of wrapped it all up nice and neat in a nice little bow. But those games are spectacular. If you haven't played them, they're probably like five bucks. They, they go on sale really frequently on the PlayStation Network and on the, the Xbox like live stuff where it's the Xbox store. It's usually anywhere between like five and ten bucks per game. You can actually get the first game for like usually seven dollars, I think, with all the DLC. And then the second game, like they, they pretty much gave that game away for free with like a ham sandwich. It was insane. They were just trying to, to move copies of that. But they're both really good if you haven't played them. Anyways, so that developer is actually the one that has done Ghostwire Tokyo, which is what was intriguing to me. So this game was announced a few years ago, had a really cool trailer. It was announced as a PS5 exclusive before the publisher Bethesda was bought out by Microsoft. So when you think back about that, it's kind of a weird time because nobody knew the Bethesda thing was happening. They were doing all these publishing deals with specifically Sony. So that's why you had think, games like Deathloop that were specifically on the PlayStation 5. And you also had games like this, which were exclusive to the PlayStation 5. But they only held those exclusivity rights for a little while. I think this game actually might be coming out early next year on Xbox, if I'm mistaken. I think they had like a, a year delay. But as of right now, it's pretty much just on PC and on PlayStation 5. Now, as far as which one should you play on if you choose to, to play this game, I would probably recommend the, the PlayStation 5 for performance, but the PC for controls. Uh, the reason for that is the controls on the PS5 kind of suck. I don't remember if there's an auto-aim system at all, but there for some reason I could never aim the way I wanted to. And there is sort of like a lock-on feature where if you click in the left trigger to, to aim it, after you've hit an enemy sometimes it'll lock onto them but sometimes it doesn't work so i don't know exactly how the the aiming function for like the auto aim or lock on works because i never really felt like it did with that being said the performance on the playstation 5 there's tons of different performance modes where you can have it locked at 30 but have ray tracing or let it run at 60 with no ray tracing or limited ray tracing or you can just like unlock the frame rate and have you know V-Sync tearing happening left, right, and center if you want to do that. Either way, it actually performs pretty well on the PlayStation 5 overall. But I feel like this game would also be way better if you were using a keyboard and mouse because of the weird like look sensitivity on the analog sticks when it comes to playing it on PlayStation 5. And no matter how you play it though, this game's pretty unique. I think it has like an interesting take on what it's trying to do. So the first thing I want to talk about is actually probably the strongest part of the game that actually gets the least amount of time, which kind of sucks, which is the story. Because that was what initially drew me into this game more than anything else. Like the trailers for the game pretty much promoted like a heavy narrative driven kind of horror-esque game. Not necessarily a survival horror game, but like we'll call it horror adjacent. So the game starts out with like the camera kind of panning over Tokyo and there's some sort of incident where like everybody essentially has gone missing and the character named Ikido, which is the main character wakes up and by this time everybody's vanished and there's just fog everywhere in the streets of Tokyo. So Ikido wakes up 
and he has no idea what's going on. And he's actually possessed by the spirit of this man called KK. Now, KK grants him these abilities that are kind of elemental spirit abilities. At first, you only get the wind ability, but eventually you get the ability to kind of fire out fireballs and also do um, like water attacks, which is kind of like a wave attack. But for the, the sake of the story, he possesses you right in the beginning, which is why you aren't dead or vanished like the the rest of the people in Tokyo. So this fog is rolled in and just completely caused everyone in Tokyo to to disappear and you seem to be the last one left. Now from here you have the like antagonist of the game Hanya who is apparently causing this. He's like casting rituals which is causing this fog to roll in white people out but there's also these entities that are wandering the streets of the city they're they're very kind of i don't want to call them silent hill expired like inspired but they kind of look like silent hill-esque enemies um but they obviously have like a root in japanese horror so there's a lot of like guys with no faces and business suits holding umbrellas think almost like um slenderman style looking guys but you have like uh, these weird demons and like schoolgirl outfits that will run up and like kick you and things like that very very unique enemy design uh but these are the things that are kind of wandering around the city in place of the normal inhabitants of the city so akito wakes up in the state possessed by kk kk informs him that this this man or entity hanya is causing this and it's only going to get worse because hanya has some sort of evil master plan but akito is more worried about his sister mari who apparently was in an accident and is in a coma at the local hospital so akito and kk end up going to the hospital to see if she's okay or if she's part of you know this huge vanishing that happens from there, when they actually get to the hospital, Hanyo is in Mari's room, and Hanyo essentially says, "Like, hey, I am taking your sister, and I'm going to use her for this ritual." Too bad, so sad, and ends up stabbing Akito in the chest. So from there, KK actually helps Akito, since he's possessed by since Akito is possessed by KK. KK actually revives him and brings him back, and is like. We need each other to stop Hanyo, so I'm going to keep you as lo- alive as long as I can until we can stop what's happening in the city. So Hanyo, uh, Hanya at this point is actually like not only has the fog wiped out the inhabitants of the city, but he's kind of trapped the souls of the people in the city, and they're just sort of floating around. So he's doing something to trap these souls and use them for some evil master plan at this point you don't know this as a character this is the part of the game where i was very intrigued because this is a really cool plot you have this guy who's willing to pretty much wipe out an entire city he has the power to wipe out an entire city's worth of people then bring in a bunch of like demonic entity entities to actually inhabit the city for some unknown reason like it's kind of weird to me because it's like if you've eliminated everybody in the city and you thought everybody was dead why do you need 
all these demons rolling around or is that just like a side effect i don't know if it's ever explained there are a lot of files in this game that you have to read and i will be the first to admit i didn't read all of them uh the ones i came across i i kind of like perused but when i'm talking a lot of files i'm saying like hundreds and hundreds of files that you come across in this city in the open world is huge it is ginormous so we find out that mari was injured during a house fire apparently mari and uh, akito were living together and there was a fire of some kind mari was knocked out ended up going into a coma that's why she was in the hospital so once akito wakes up and kk has saved him since you know hanyo stabbed him in the chest kk's like let's do this KK informs him that he is part of this group that was like a paranormal investigation group that actually ended up helping spirits and people. It's kind of vague as what like as to what they actually did, but that they have a kind of like headquarters in one of the apartments nearby. So you go there and here's where it's kind of hinted very greatly that Hanya and um kk were working together at some point and then there was some falling out like you find a picture of kk and then there's like a, there's an image scratched out of one of the guy's faces and there's a few other people on the team as well so from here kk says like hey we need to find out where hanyo is in the city so let's go to the tallest place in the city and we'll see what we can find so you end up battling your way up this really cool like shopping mall plaza thing uh, to get to the top. It's, it's actually one of the biggest areas in the start of the game that you go to. And it's like the best part about this game besides the story is the environments. Everything seems like it's very handcrafted. Nothing seems really generic with the exception of the stuff that should look generic. So when you're playing the game and you're going through the city and you have these very samey looking houses in certain areas, that's because in Tokyo, that's how a lot of it was built. But you also have these like huge extravagant buildings or like the place where you go to, to, to go see if you can find Hanyo. It's like a giant like shopping mall in the bottom. But as you work your way up, there's all sorts of like unique little apartment buildings and things like that. It's very, very interesting. The whole design of this city is amazing. There are parks everywhere. There's a whole subway station. Everything seems very lived in and the attention to detail is insane. Like there are little magazines everywhere. It's really, really cool. The, the best part of the game besides the story, in my opinion, is definitely the environment. But there are definite negatives to this game that I'll get into later. So you, you end up going to the top of this uh, tower and using some of the like observatory binoculars to spot this one kind of he kind of looks like hanyo because he has the mask but it's obviously a henchman that walks down into a subway station now you've seen these guys with hanyo when you were in the hospital room with mari they're kind of the ones that like pin you down and i think there's three of them at this point so you end up uh, spotting this guy following him into the subway and this is where part of the ritual is being performed and here is where you find out that Hanya actually has the uh, corpse of KK and has him being possessed and helping him. And you fight a boss battle where you're fighting essentially KK and you end up killing, yeah, killing him, I guess, even though he's already dead because he's a spirit in you. But you end up killing him. And Mari and Hanyo end up, you know, 
getting away because that's just how this game goes it's like the when it comes to the actual like you doing stuff in the game it's very much you go after hanya then hanya escapes and then you try to find out where he is and then you go after him again and you rinse and repeat this cycle over and over again until pretty much the end of the game but the interesting part that happens here is when you're fighting um Hanyo, you actually get separated from KK. So KK gets yanked out of you and you're left to explore without any of your powers. Luckily, the game gives you this nice little bow and arrow, but it doesn't do nearly as much damage as your elemental magic abilities, which is a huge issue. So this turns the game almost into a stealth section. So you have to just like escape this like underground sewer area, get to the top, it's kind of a pain in the ass. It does make the game less fun, but it is pretty cool that they try to switch up the gameplay a little bit. It just doesn't do what it should be doing. Like the the whole point of areas like this is to give you another fun experience besides the fun experience you've already been having. It's to give you a little bit better gameplay variety, and I don't feel like that works. The gameplay here isn't varied. You're doing the same exact thing, you're just not as powerful doing it. So you can get into head-on combat with enemies using the bow and arrow, but you're not going to be able to take them out as effectively. And most of what you've been doing so far in this game has been like getting into close quarters combat, or you have already been stealth killing things. Like When you enter the hospital to find Mari... I don't think I got into many full-on confrontations with enemies. I'm pretty sure I was just sneaking around and trying to one-shot kill them with the sneak attack when this happened. So you're just doing that again. Because in the beginning of the game, you're not that powerful. Not until you get upgrades later on. So a lot of the time, you're just sneaking around killing enemies anyways and not really resorting to hand-to-hand combat unless you, you absolutely have to. This section is just putting you back in that situation where you have enemies that are pretty powerful, but you don't necessarily have the the tools to take them out as easily, so you just have to sneak a little bit more. That's it. I mean, it's it's kind of a a dumb section, but luckily it doesn't last very long. It's just if that's going to be what the game does to give you variety, it's a very piss-poor way to do it. So you end up getting out of the sewer eventually and you're contacted by uh, Rinku, who was one of the other investigators on the team with KK. And she pretty much tells Akito, hey, you are still attached to KK, so you can sense KK. It's just going to be more difficult to to do anything without him. So you're you're going to have to track him down, like where his spirit is. After a little while, you actually end up finding out where KK's spirit's being held and I was expecting more of a fight to, to get him back, but I can't I can't even remember if you fight anyone to get KK back. But eventually you end up just freeing him from a prison and absorbing him back into you and then continue on your journey. With that being said, after this incident, a lot of the times the bosses that you fight or stronger enemies that you fight can rip KK out of Aikido and it really sucks in the heat of combat. So you could be like in the heat of a battle with five or six enemies, and one of the strong enemies can come up and actually rip KK out of you, and then you have to either A, kill the enemy, and then absorb KK again, or B, do like I always did, run really far away, and then lure the enemy with you 
as far away as you can, then sprint back and absorb KK. Because it only takes like, I think four or five seconds to get KK absorbed back into Aikido. So it doesn't, again, it's not really changing the, the gameplay at all. It's just another hindrance to actually having fun. Because when you're powerful and you're doing like all these spells and you're shooting fireballs at enemies, you feel like a badass. But the second that gets taken away from you, you're just like, fuck, I have to actually, I don't know, like try to avoid combat and dodge things. And it's just a pain in the ass. It's a pain in the ass mechanic overall. So back to the storyline. All right. So at this point, you've realized that uh, Hanya is trying to break down the barrier between the living and the dead so that way he can revive his wife and kid and that he really doesn't care about the people of the city like he thinks that bodies are just that like the soul and the body are two different things and he only cares about his wife and daughter's soul and that's all that matters so He's going to continue this ritual to break down the barrier between the two worlds so that way he can get his wife and daughter back and nothing's going to stop him from doing that. So once you get KK back, I want to say at this point is when you see a a giant like light beam come up um inform you like, "Hey, this ritual's happening, stuff's going on. You're going to want to stop it." And again, like I said, it's going to be a lot of Hanya taking Mari somewhere, you following Hanya, get into a boss battle, rinse and repeat. So eventually you end up getting to where the light is being cast. And Hanya is again doing like, you know, the ritual thing. You try to stop him. You find out that the two other henchmen that have been with him the entire time are his wife and daughter, like the corpses of his wife and daughter. He's just been like puppeting them around essentially. So you end up fighting his, I believe it's his daughter at this point and taking her out. Each time one of these boss battles occurs, they just turn into like a, a giant demon of some kind. And it's a very rinse and repeat thing. You either damage uh, their cores because that's what you're ripping out and just uh, ripping out their core until they, they die and then they, they vanish, so on and so forth. It's a, The boss battles are really, really, really simple. I want to say this boss battle in particular, it's like she turns into like a, a cat with like three tails, like a huge like eight foot cat with three tails. And you just have to hide and sneak around behind her and do like a stealth kill to to each tail and then i don't even know if you fight them after that i think that's all you do and then she just vanishes so it's kind it's kind of boring but after that um he teleport now he doesn't teleport away but hanyo actually runs away again and the fog it has spread a little bit further throughout the city i believe and he ends up going to um, Tokyo Tower, which is like the Empire, not the Empire State Building, like the Eiffel Tower in Tokyo. He ends up going there to co- to complete like the last part of the ritual. The downside is that the entire city, like the entire part of the city where that is, is covered in fog, and you can't get to it because the fog kills you. If you get into the fog, you're dead. That's it. So Rinku ends up contacting you and telling you, "Hey." Over here is this motorcycle that for some reason can cut through the fog. Like it, it has a spirit protection. Some some random shit happens 
where for whatever reason, this motorcycle can cut through the fog and it'll get you there. But you have to get the parts for it. So you end up going and getting, I think it's like oil or gas or something from the spirit realm and another part of the motorcycle from a, like a car or something like that. There's, it's like a pretty much just like a basic fetch quest. It's nothing spectacular about it. And you get the motorcycle going. And at this point, you're like, sweet, I get to drive the motorcycle. No, you do not get to drive the fucking motorcycle. How dare you think that this game has varied gameplay? Because it doesn't. You don't drive the motorcycle. The motorcycle is just a cutscene. So Akito and KK get on the motorcycle, cut through the fog, get to Tokyo Tower. And uh, at the steps of Tokyo Tower, Rinku's actually there. And she's she pretty much tells you, like, hey, I'm glad I was able to help you do this. Like, my time has passed. And she vanishes. That, that, that's all it is. No, very little fanfare for Rinku. Um, the, she is in the game more because she has a few side quests and things that you have to do for her. And she does uh, talk to you a lot, especially when it comes to, like, the fetch quest for the motorcycle and things like that. But as a character, she's just non-existent. The, the, the biggest flaw with the plot of this game and keeping you interested is the fact that you don't really see anybody besides Hanyo and the henchmen. And besides Hanyo and the henchmen, you see KK in cutscenes because KK is in your in your body most of the time, so that doesn't matter. Rinku, you only see in a photograph, and she contacts you on the phone. And then there's another person on the investigation team that will contact you by telephone. That's it. This game has such a fucking limited cast, it's insane. Like, I don't know if they couldn't afford more people. I have no idea. I have no idea why the cast is so limited. But when she ends up dying, like, you almost don't care. You're just like, okay, cool. Glad she's okay now. Peace. And from there, you end up fighting, I want to say it's uh, the the mom. So, uh, Hanya's wife. That boss battle, again, super easy one. I don't even remember what they turn into. I just remember it took me like four minutes to beat that boss and that was it. And then I went up Tokyo Tower. So if you're going to ask me about the bosses in this game, not the best. They're pretty much just random ass demons. They're really easy to kill. I think I ended up killing the last boss in two tries. And the only reason I died the first time is because I just did not care to block. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to blast him with all the stuff I got. And if I die, I die. And then like the second battle, I, I just... I ended up actually avoiding attacks and I killed him the first try. But anyways, you go up Tokyo Tower and Hanya's there with Mari. Ritual is pretty much completed and there are these two or three, I can't remember how many, but they're like gigantic. Imagine like a King Kong style, like shadow spirits or something like that that are outside the building. Hanya Hanya pretty much tells Akito, hey, maybe Mar. this is what Mari wants. Like, have you asked Mari what she wants and if she actually, like, wants to do this ritual? Because, you know, you guys have had it rough too. Your parents are dead. Maybe she wants to bring your parents back. You don't know. And this causes Akito to rethink what he's doing. Like, hey, should I even be doing this? And obviously, KK is like, just stop him. So KK, the entire time, is actually trying to force Akito to stop Hanya and Akito's just like, I don't know. Maybe this is what my sister wants. Maybe she wants to bring our parents back. Maybe she actually like doesn't care about 
all the people in the city and just wants like herself to be happy. So this actually buys enough time for Hanyo to jump out the window and escape. And Hanyo just like jumps out with Mari's body and then just gets kind of like picked up and absorbed by the giant King Kong shadow creature. And KK eventually ends up convincing Akito, you have to stop this ritual. No matter what, you have to do this. So Akito and KK end up going and following uh, Hanya into this beast, whatever it is. And it ends up teleporting them into this shadow realm. But Akito in particular gets like absorbed into this weird like memory scenario where he's walking through all the memories from his childhood and past involving Mari. So it's actually like when his parents were in the hospital room and where and Mari was born and all the way up until the point where in the game where Mari was actually injured. So you find out during these flashbacks that Akito was kind of a shitty brother at some points. Like he wasn't the best. Like yes, he's doing all these things now to save Mari. But it seems to be like he's trying to save her just out of like, I can't let this happen to my sister, rather than he actually cares about her. And the flashbacks actually show you that there are times in his life where he did not care at all about Mari or how she felt or what she was doing. And then there were times where he felt like he had to take care of her because nobody else would. Because their parents ended up dying when they were kind of young and he had to just take care of her. So that's all he's known for like the past few years or however long. At the end of this cutscene, well, at the end of this like kind of like flashback memory scenario, you realize, I think, I don't know if you see it or if she tells you, but Mari was injured because she went back into their apartment to get her parents' wedding rings. So she actually, it wasn't, Akito's fault it like pretty much was Mari's fault for going back in and getting the wedding rings because she felt like that was all that they had of their parents after this cutscene, you end up seeing Hanyo try to like complete the ritual and Hanya for whatever reason Mari is like now awake and ends up blocking the ritual temporarily and throwing Hanyo down this like huge demon hole so there's like just like this hole in the ground there that spirits are trying to climb up. And just when Hanya thinks he's completed the ritual, Mari pretty much blocks it and then throws him down that well. Then she apologizes, I think, to Akito, or they have like some sort of some sort of conversation where she's like, It's okay. I know you tried your best, but this is like the the way it is. And she ends up passing away in Akito's arms. Really nice scene. A little bit too long as far as the cutscene goes. But otherwise, like, really well done cutscene. And it makes you feel for the characters. But this is where I'm going to talk about the, the bad parts of the storyline. So all of this, like, context when it comes to Mari and Akito and their backstory all comes from this one cutscene at the end of the game. Like, that's it otherwise you wouldn't care anything about their relationship at all and that's a huge issue because i feel like if you want to motivate the player to save mari you have to give mari 
some sort of reason to be as shitty as it sounds. You have to give her a reason to be saved besides the fact that like, hey, she's the main character's sister. I you don't even get that until the very end of the game, right before she dies. Now I don't know how they could have told this story differently. I'm sure there are other ways. But because they do this, by the end of the game, I'm like, oh, that's really sad. But it could have been way more impactful if you knew how these two were related and how much stuff they had gone through before the very end of the game. Like, it's hinted at throughout the entire game. Not hinted at, but it's kind of told to you throughout the entire game that they lost their parents when they were very young and that Akito was taking care of Mari. But you don't see how hard that is and how hard it was on Akito and how hard it was on Mari until the last five minutes. And that's just not enough. Like you could, if you would have sprinkled that in throughout the rest of the game, it would have been so much more impactful by the time it got there. And it's not like there wasn't a reason to show it because you would have to think that KK would need to know why Akito needs to like save his sister so bad. So there were reasons to tell the story in a better way. They just didn't do it. So that was my biggest complaint with the story being told like as a whole. Like this story would have been fine because there are tons of stories where it's just like go see the antagonist, antagonist runs away. You keep following the antagonist in the entirety of the game and trying to hunt him down and whatnot, but it's all about how that happens that makes it good or bad. And this game just told it very poorly. Like there's a good story here that's just told very poorly. And I'll get into why it's told poorly in a minute. But I'll just get into the end of the game now. So you end up fighting Hanya. He turns into a, a like he kind of like merges with the corpses of his dead wife and daughter and becomes this giant monster. You end up killing him. Like I said, the boss battle is very anticlimactic, very easy to do. Uh, and then the cutscene at the end of the game is actually really good. Again, it's why I say the story is actually the, one of the strongest parts of this game, even though it's told very poorly. Like if it was told in a different way, the story would have been great, but it's not. So at the end of the game, you end up defeating Hanya um, and Akito's parents end up showing up because obviously the the realms between the spirits and the living world have kind of like crossed over for a little bit because of the, the ritual. And they end up pretty much taking Mari from Akito and bringing her into the afterlife. And Akito ends up being able to apologize to both his parents and Mari. And realizing that, hey, he has to, you know, make the best of his life. It's not just him about like surviving in his day to day and just getting through it. He needs to actually like live his life to the fullest because now he's the only one in his family. Like that's it. Mari is gone. His parents are gone. It's just up to him to, you know, make the best of things. And I think that's a really cool statement and it's a really, it's a solid ending to this game. And I think if the story was told better, again, it would have been more impactful. But the story was not told better. It was told the way it is, and that's very unfortunate. So after that, Akito ends up, you know, walking up these stairs, which it's hinted that that he's pretty much just walking back into his life. Like it's a, a very well done cutscene, and KK pretty much congratulates him and says, you know, 
make the best of this and then vanishes and that's that's the end of the game kk's gone uh akito's still alive luckily and unfortunately his his sister's dead and his parents are dead it's very very sad it, it sucks but good story overall there are a lot of things that the cutscenes don't tell you so this is where i'm going to get into the the really bad parts of the game first of all there's a few things as far as the story being told that I already complained about. One, it should have been the backstory between Mari and Akito should have been told in a better way earlier on in the game so you could see why he wants the saber so bad. They actually could have done something really interesting where it would show Akito's perspective and how he felt like he was treating his sister the entire time. Like, give me more flashbacks of him and his sister doing things and him doing good things for his sister. And then at the end of the game, show the flashbacks from his sister's perspective. So that way you could see that she didn't necessarily see it as him being a good brother overall. Or that maybe she saw him trying to be a good brother even when he wasn't that would have made the story a lot better overall. That alone actually would have saved most of the story. If they would have just done that, it would have done so much more for this game, but they didn't. I feel like the story in this game was, was very much rushed, and I'll explain why in, in, in one second. Besides the story being told in such a poor way, Hanya as a villain, a villain needed more backstory overall. All you know about him is that he lost his daughter, and then... He decided, hey, I'm just going to bring her back and I'm going to do whatever it takes, which is a fine story. But you have to be able to sympathize with that character in order to like the best villains in any movie or any game. You can relate to them. You can actually see where they're coming from. Like if you look at even things like this is going to sound very cliche, but if you look at Thanos from the Marvel movies, you can understand why he's doing the things he's doing because in Infinity War, there's a lot of backstory told about like how much he lost and how he sees the world, which allows you to relate to him as a, as a person, like as a character. When you don't give that to a villain, what ends up happening is you just have this villain that you don't give a shit about, that you don't have any motivation to actually stop, that you're just you're doing it because the game's telling you to do it and that's a shitty reason to go after an enemy or like give you an antagonist. You need an antagonist that actually like you can kind of relate to in some way in order to make the story interesting for a few reasons. The first is the fact that you always want to feel like the, the enemy can be redeemed in some way. If I'm playing a game or watching a movie and I can relate to the villain of that movie or the antagonist of that movie in such a way where I want him to be redeemed but understand that there's a chance that he can't be, that's far more compelling than any other any other villain. Like it, you can't just have just like an evil villain just to be evil. And the worst part is Hanyo has that little nugget of like he could have been a redeeming character because the motivation for what he's doing is very, very if you think about it, it's almost noble. He wants to bring his daughter back. Now, that might not necessarily be because his daughter wants to come back. Like, he he could just have the, the thing where he just wants to bring her back because he feels like he failed her. He wants to bring her back because 
you know, maybe he was the cause of her death. There's not enough context for this villain for me to care. And that's a huge freaking issue. And I don't know how, when they were writing the story, they didn't see that as being an issue. Those are the, the two biggest problems with the way the story is told. Outside of the fact I'm going to get into right now, which is this game is an open world game. If you heard any part of the story, it seems like it's pretty time sensitive. Like, hey, you're trying to stop a ritual from happening that's going to take out Tokyo. But this game does the exact same thing that a Far Cry game does, where they give you a map with a thousand other things to do in it. So the map is so dense in this game that there are icons on top of icons on top of icons in tons of things that you have to find. Not only are there side quests, but there are different shrines that will actually help you uh, get more ammo. I call it ammo. I don't know what else you would really call it for your spells. So you would have to hunt those things down. Then you have things like, oh, I can't remember what they're called, but they're essentially like little uh, like spirits that you have to hunt down and they contribute to your upgrade system because when you find them, they give you this token. And a lot of the times the last part of your upgrade so you have like this huge upgrade tree for like all your your things. So let's say your wind spells, one of them allows you to one part of the upgrade tree allows you to fire your spells faster and so on and so forth. I'll I'll get into it in a minute, but like that upgrade tree at the very end the usually like the last part of that tree requires three of these tokens. So you have to f- hunt down the spirits to do that. On top of that, you have I want to say there's like 250 thousand spirits that you can collect in the game and the spirits give you experience for your skill tree now so far i don't know if you've heard this that's already like three or four things that you have to go and hunt down in between you trying to save your sister and i haven't even gotten into the crazy parts so side quests that's the first thing that takes up time for the main character and gets you away from the story Then you have the spirits, which you need to collect in order to upgrade your character. Like, yeah, you can just do combat, but that's not going to get you your upgrades as quickly as you going around collecting the spirits um, in the game. Like the spirits, you go around and you you absorb them into something called, I think it's Kaneshiro. And then you go to a phone and then you upload them. And then you're essentially trading the spirits. You're somehow uploading the spirits into the phone and trading them for experience points. So side quests, then you have spirits, then you have the shrines that upgrade how much ammo you can carry for each individual spell, all right? Then on top of that, you have the Tengu gates. So throughout the entire game, the sections covered in fog that are around the city, you pretty much disperse the fog by going to these these gates, and I think they're Tengu gates, I can't remember, these gates, and you when you cleanse the gate, the fog in the area goes away and you can explore more of the city. So we're already at four things that you have to like take your time to do. The gates you kind of have to do because you can't get into certain areas without doing the gates. The biggest problem is the gates should have been like huge fortresses and not fortresses, but like better, bigger battles instead of a ton of little gates throughout the city. The gates do serve as fast travel points, which is good. 
but the city's not so huge that fast travel points need to be like every two blocks, you know? Um, especially because like your traversal in this game, you get like a glide ability where you can glide from rooftop to rooftop. It's not super fast, but like you can get from point A to point B very quickly. So you don't need all of those fast travel points. Then on top of that, there is cash that you have to collect because you have to buy uh, health items and you, you pretty much, there's just like floating like spirit objects throughout the city that you can smash and collect those. And then there are like hidden, I don't know if they're like cursed items or just special items that you can collect to trade into the, these like shop cats that end up giving you like cosmetic things and sometimes buffs. It's kind of mixed in, like you can get certain cosmetic items from them, but you can also get like, I think more Kaneshiro from one of them. So it's one of those things where if like you don't care about the cosmetics of the game, you can just completely ignore it. But there are still certain buffs sprinkled in there as well, which is kind of weird. So we're already like five or six things you have to hunt down. Now keep in mind that the spirits themselves, there are 200, I want to say it's like 250,000 of them. And you get about a hundred per each like spirit you absorb. So you'll see these like floating blobs around the city of like three or four spirits just like intertangled. And you go and you cleanse them and absorb them into the Kaneshiro. And you do this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Now, again, this wouldn't be such a huge issue if it wasn't for the fact that the main story seems very time sensitive. And a majority of my gameplay time was me going around absorbing spirits because I wanted my character to be like, not overpowered, but powerful enough where I wouldn't get screwed in a situation. So that's a huge issue because you, you kind of have two different narratives going on here. You have one where the game's giving you 7,000 different items on a map that you have to go find, collect, or do. And then you have the other side of it, which is like you have this one main quest that you have to go do. And there is a point of no return on that main quest. So it will actually tell you. I think it's around the time where you get the, the motorcycle, where it's like right before you go on the motorcycle, it's like you cannot uh, do this mission if you want to complete, like, I think there's like two side quests for Rinku that you can't do, that you won't be able to do if you do that. After you do the motorcycle thing, which by the way, only takes you to a small area outside of Tokyo Tower. Once you do that mission, um, you can still teleport back to the main city. And I think you can teleport back to the tower. Um, so it literally only just stops those two side quests. And I think it's because the cutscene I got with Rinku passing away was due to doing those two side quests before I got on the motorcycle. I'm pretty sure if you don't do her side quests before you get on the motorcycle, you don't get her passing away outside of Tokyo Tower. Uh, but besides that, like, I mean, again, it was such like a no fanfare. She just ended up dying or her spirit just ended up moving out like on outside of the tower. That didn't even matter. So I don't, it, the in the side quests were like, I want to say it took me 20 minutes to complete both of the side quests for her. So either way, it's, it's not going to make a huge deal when it comes to this game. But once you get to Tokyo Tower and go inside and do that last mission, it cuts off any other side quests that you can do, any other spirits that you can collect. Like everything else, it, it does not matter. It, it stops there. And then you would have to, I believe, new game plus or reload a previous save. So luckily the game lets you like just save multiple times whenever you want. So if you want to just go back and do side quests, just save right before you get to that tower and you should be okay. 
let's see what else what else is a huge issue with, with this game uh the powers so i talked about it a little bit so the way this game works you it's kind of a first person shooter but instead of shooting things you cast spells which act just like guns so you have the the basic spell which is your wind spell it just shoots out like kind of like a green bolt of wind you can charge it up and do a little bit more damage and then you have like the shotgun blast spell which is your wave spell now it's it's listed as a shotgun like style spell because it, it comes out in a wave like in a horizontal wave in front of you the downside is i've only seen it ever hit one enemy I think it might hit multiples if you charge it up or if you upgrade it, but I never upgraded that spell because I felt like it didn't do enough damage. The other thing is too, the, the wind spell is pretty strong and you get like, you can, I think you start out getting, having like 25 or 30 shots for that and all the other spells you get way less ammo for. So that water spell, the little shotgun style water spell I think by the end of the game, I only had like 12 or 14 shots from that. And that was after upgrading it a little bit and finding a couple shrines. Um, and then there's the fireball spell. Now the fireball spell gets a lot of shit from people online. Cause you only get like five of them. But with that being said, the fireball spell is super powerful. Like I pretty much killed the last boss with like six shots from that fireball. Uh, that might be an exaggeration, but it didn't take much to actually kill him. And it's great for bosses. So the fireball does a massive amount of damage. You can upgrade it so it does piercing damage. So you can shoot through one enemy and hit the enemies behind it, which is great. And on top of that, you can charge it up and it does like a AOE attack. And if you upgrade the AOE attack, it is huge. Like you can take out like five or six enemies with that sucker. And it's just great. I think the fireball spell is definitely the best one in the game, in my opinion. That one, that one's pretty awesome. And again, all these spells you can get more ammo for if you just go find these shrines. But the city is so dense that like you could walk right by one of these shrines and not know. Luckily, there are shrines you can like pay money and pray to. And you can pray to see more of the... I think they're called like Jesus statues. Uh, you can pray to see more of those on your map and hunt those down. But again, there's so many things to do in this game. They're so time-consuming that it just takes away from the fun of the overall experience. Like, I feel like you could have limited the amount of these things that there are. Or instead of like, because I think every time you, you get like a wind statue, you only get one more wind spell. So if you have 34, you get 35 and so on and so forth. Like, make it so that like these statues are harder to find or that they give you like way more. Like if, if I got like three fireballs for finding each one of these statues, I'd be hunting them down like crazy. But I only get one extra fireball for doing it. I think at the end of the game, I had six fireballs. Like that was it. It's super annoying. Um, they really just tried to like spread out so much of this game in the open world. And it's a detriment to the game itself. Like the open world is great and it's detailed and it's dense. But there's just too much in it for me to actually like enjoy it because I'm always looking for something else. Instead of me being able to go into the game and walk around Tokyo and enjoy like the visuals that it's giving me, I'm instead looking for Jesus statues. I'm looking for spirits floating around. I have to pay attention to enemies, but I also have to pay attention to the stupid uh, floating um like barrels and stuff that you have to break for ammo because like you either get ammo from killing enemies and like breaking them so like when you're fighting enemies if you shoot shoot them a few times they kind of get into this like dazed or stunned state 
and then you can hold the left trigger, I believe, and it just like breaks them. And in that case, you get a little bit of health and you get a little bit of ammo from them. If you just kill them, you just get a little bit of ammo. And that like breaking thing where you're you kind of like um they're like soul core exposes and you break it that's how you kill most of the bot like i think all of the bosses as well so it's 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 pretty like it's neat i mean it makes it interesting you can chain that so if you get three or four enemies in a stunned state you can actually uh trigger that that breaking ability and it will hit all three of them and you'll absorb all three at the same time which is really cool but as i was saying there's so much stuff in this city where you're walking around and you I kind of just wanted to be able to walk around and enjoy the sight, but there were so many things that my eyes were constantly looking for just the stuff that would either make me more powerful or make like make life a little bit easier traversing and navigating this game when that shouldn't have been the case. You have this really rich, detailed environment ruined by the fact that it's a giant fucking collectathon, and that drove me friggin' insane. Just absolutely insane. Now I'm going to hop back a little bit for, to the, the combat system. The combat has a great premise. I think it's really cool that you're using spells to take out these spirits and that the spells have different effects. My biggest issue is one, the spell balance. Because I was using the wind spell and the fireball spell way more than I was using the water spell. Because I feel like that shotgun spell did like no damage. Uh, on top of that though, the combat isn't varied enough. Because you just have a ton of enemies that either A, are constantly rushing you and have no AI. There's no self-preservation. They they see you and they charge you and they try to kill you. And that is it. Or then you have these enemies that will hang back and constantly fire fireballs or like these homing projectiles at you that you can like either shoot out of the air or just avoid. And that is the most basic of combat. If you think about that, it just like... Imagine like the original Doom and imagine that combat somehow being more simplified and that's what you get. At least in the original Doom, like you had enemies with guns who shot you instantly, but you also had enemies that shot fireballs. You had flying enemies that shot fireballs. You had certain enemies that were fast, like the the pinkies you had. So imagine those like basic, very basic enemies, but take out the ones that can instantly shoot you with a gun because no enemy in this game has a spell that is like instantaneously fires at you with the exception of one and it really doesn't do a lot of damage so it doesn't matter and then take out like the invisible enemies because those don't exist in the game and you literally just have like a more simplified doom combat system that's how sad it is and i'm talking like 1994 or 95 doom whenever it came out like that doom that combat system is so that combat system is like 30 years old now and that's essentially what this game is using for combat it's very very boring you're literally just strafing around in a circle firing your spells hoping you don't run out and if you do run out you have to look for like a floating enchanted trash can or like or bike or car because they're just like cars and bikes and stuff like just basic objects that just flicker and then you break them and then they give you they give you ammo like it it it's like they didn't even try they were like they could have just like put actual objects in the environment that as you see them you're like oh that's ammo like a crate or something and break that 
instead they were just like, you know what? We don't even want to model that crate. We're just going to make a car flicker and float. And you'll know to break that and get ammo. It's just so goddamn lazy. It's insane. The best part of the combat system, honestly, is the stealth. Because the stealth mechanics actually kind of work. The biggest problem with the stealth, though... See, this, this is the thing. For everything that this game does right, I can always go back and be like, this is what they should have changed to make it better. And this is what they should have changed to make the stealth better. The amount of times where I'm on a rooftop or something in this game, and I could be like, oh, I can do like a stealth kill from the top and kill them. Like, think like an Assassin's Creed style, uh, like jump down on an enemy and kill them with the stealth attack. They don't have that. And this area is very fucking vertical. You have all of the rooftops of Tokyo that you're 90% of the time, once I got like a ability to glide from rooftop to rooftop, I was just like doing that. And I would like go down and see like a spirit or something that I would want to absorb, but it would be surrounded by like three or four enemies. And I'm like, oh, it would be great if I could jump off this rooftop, land on that enemy, absorb one soul, take one enemy out of the equation, and then kill the rest or stealth kill the rest. But no, it doesn't even give you that option. You have to like jump down from the rooftop and hope the enemy doesn't hear you, sneak up behind them, and then use the absorb feature. I'm like, just give me an aerial an aerial stealth kill that's all i want that would make things 10 times better like it's like i feel like they made this game and didn't have any play testers or the play testers just didn't say anything when there was something that was wrong because it took me a grand total of like 20 seconds to think of that when i was playing i was like why is this area not fun oh wait because i would love to be able to stealth kill an enemy from a rooftop and i fucking can't it just does not allow you to do it. It's one animation. Like they could have just added in that one animation for a stealth kill from a, a like a height above an enemy, and it would have been so much better. So I've I've touched on like a lot of the the big cons that I have with this game, um, and there are still more. So the field of view in this game is really narrow. I don't think it can be changed on PC without mods and. On console, it's it's super, super narrow. Think like, I'm trying to think, what's like the most narrowest field of view? Probably something like Halo. Like think of the, the field of view in like um, a Halo game. It's probably even more narrow than that. And that's already a pretty narrow field of view. And I'm not talking about infinite because you can actually change it in that game. But like the previous Halo games. It's just, you can't see a lot of peripheral stuff, which is unfortunate because again, like I said, the, the city is very cool. And a lot of the times you're just like in tunnel vision going from point A to point B, which really, really sucks. Um, the grind for experience points and stuff. So I, I talked a little bit before about how the the upgrade system works, where there's kind of like skill trees for everything. Those are fine in the beginning. You're getting levels at a pretty decent clip in the, the first, probably the first 20 levels of the game that you get are pretty quick and you, you blow through them really easily and you can actually just do mostly combat to get enough experience to unlock skills but later on in the game when you're like level 30 plus it becomes a point where you're just like going around looking for spirits to absorb so i ended up at one point you can buy the kanashiro to absorb spirits so in the beginning of the game you can only absorb like 10 spirits at a time before you have to trade them in because the amount of spirits you can absorb are only limited to the amount of Kanashiro that you have. Kanashiro are these like little paper origami things that trap spirits. 
So in the beginning, you have 10. So you can go and absorb 10 spirits before you have to actually uh, put them into like the, the telephone and like redeem them for your experience points. I ended up with like 50 of them because I just went to the, the shop because I never used my cash for anything, which is another thing that you have to collect is cash, your currency. I just bought the bought all the fucking Kaneshiro that they had. So I had like 50 of them. And I would go around the scene. As I was tra- traversing from one mission to the next, I would absorb spirits along the way. And then when I got close to that 50 mark, I would look for a telephone booth, turn them in, and then continue on my way. It doesn't sound bad. It doesn't sound like a grind until you realize that like stopping to collect the spirits takes like five to 10 seconds each time you do it. So each time you come across the spirit, you have to like stop and then like hold up the Kaneshiro so that way you can absorb the spirit and then absorb it and then move on to the next one. And it doesn't sound like a lot of time when you're like, oh, it's five or 10 seconds. That's like nothing. So you realize you're doing that like a thousand times if you actually want to level up your character towards the end of the game. It's it's horrible. It's really freaking horrible when it comes to the amount of time that this game wastes. Like it does not respect the player's time in any meaningful way. If you want to go in and just do the main story, you probably could blow through this game in like three to four hours if I had to take a guess. If you were just like going through skipping cutscenes, going from point A to point B, it's like Metal Gear Solid. Like if you skip all the cutscenes in Metal Gear Solid, that game takes no time to beat it all. Same rules apply here. The downside for it is that you need some of these upgrades for some of the boss battles going on. Because for every level you get, you end up getting more health. And for every level you get, you get more skill points, which allows you to fire your shots faster or do more damage with your fireball or do this or do that. So yeah, you could probably speed run this game in three to four hours, but it would be a huge pain in the ass when you're getting to the final boss and you barely have enough ammo to take him out or you're constantly running around the arena to try to find things to smash to get more ammo, it would just be annoying as hell. Like, really, really annoying. I think that's all I have to say about the game. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's it. So, this is a good game. There is a good game in here. The environment is wonderful. It's great to look around. There's so much to see in this, like, version of Tokyo and so much detail packed into it. And you could tell they put a lot of effort into the world. And the story is actually good, even if it's poorly told. The cutscenes are are adequate. Like they're they're not the best cutscenes I've ever seen, but they're they're good enough. Like they service the story very well. It's the far cryism of it. Like there's something that tells me that when they were making this game, at some point they were like, oh crap we need more for the player to do because this game's only three to four hours and we don't have enough time to actually make the the game part of it better. So we're just going to throw in all this stuff in an open world. It seemed like somebody had like the, the map of the city open and was just clicking around, just randomly adding shit to pad the game. And it's so unfortunate because I really like the developer of this game and I know they could do better. The Evil Within 2 was absolutely amazing. And this game is nowhere near the quality that The Evil Within 2 was. And that's so unfortunate. I don't know if it was an issue with like the timeline and how long they had to make the game or people leaving the studio for whatever reason or just like a lack of direction overall. I don't know what caused this game to turn out the way it did. But 
it's so unfortunate that the legacy of this game is going to be as bad as it is. Because I can't see people playing this game and being like, every part of this game is great. This game is wonderful. 10 out of 10. Still playing it years from now. I might revisit this game and do like a new game plus like a year or two from now just to see how quickly I can go through it and probably explore more like the backstories for these characters. Like look for like like files that tell me more about Hanyo. But overall, the game needed to be more cohesive, more streamlined as far as the world goes and have a better story overall. And it would have been so much better. It would have serviced the game so much more than just going around an environment and just adding collectibles. Like, I don't play Far Cry games right now because there's too much shit to do in that world and I don't have the time to do it. And a lot of it just isn't fun. And that's the direction a lot of these games end up going in. And I feel like this game could have been so much better if they did not do that. This game could have been like an easy like 9 out of 10 game if they didn't just go around and Far Cry the shit out of this world. All right. So as I was saying before, we do have some pretty cool episodes coming up. I have stuff in the in the pipeline for a future kind of multi-part episode with multiple guests talking about a game that I am very passionate about. Uh, I also am probably going to do a classic review style uh, podcast in a couple of days where it's going to be a, a classic game. I don't know which yet. By classic, I mean something like along the lines of like a, a PlayStation One game or a Genesis game or something, something like that. Only because this game was so modernized, and despite a lot of the things I said about Ghostwire Tokyo, I actually really, really like this game. There's so much potential here, and the world itself is great to explore. If they didn't have to go and collect things every two seconds, I would have enjoyed it more. But I feel like this is like the modernization of games now. Um, and it kind of bums me out. So I really think people should check this game out. If you're into like horror games or um, specifically like Japanese horror, I think there's a lot of cool stuff in here and a lot of cool ideas and the stories told adequately. It just could, it should have been told a lot better than what it was. Um, I don't know if this game's getting a sequel or not, but definitely check it out. And I'm going to reiterate again, if you've liked this podcast, make sure you review it. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, um, Extraordinary Games on YouTube. Just look it up. We should pop up right away. Uh, make sure you follow on the podcast app of your choice. So that way you get all these episodes as they come out. There will be more. I have my voice back. I was a actually able to make it through this entire one hour long podcast without losing my voice, which is great. So I am finally back to, to full form and able to do this again. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for supporting me. And I hope to see you guys soon. Have a good one.